Um, uh, today's stop is um, We start uh, two lines from the top. So a sick person can be fed based on experts. The Mishnah said a woman, a, a woman who's pregnant that has this, uh, you know, is seized by this desire, this need to eat, you feed her. But um, and then more generalizes the issue about a sick person and specifically mentions the key and expert. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Amr Yanai. If the sick person says, I need to eat, and the doctor says, he doesn't need to eat, show me Lachola. You listen to the, to the sick person. You don't say, oh, the doctor knows better. This guy's just, uh, what does he know? He's not an expert. No. You listen to the sick person. My timer, what's the reason? The heart knows the bitterness of its soul. You can't, you know, you know your own subjective experience. Now, obviously this is a huge finish because just because you, I mean, to some degree it's, it's, it's based, it, you know, you could see that it's in the spirit of the first point of the mission about the pregnant woman who needs to eat. But um, there you did not have any contradictory testimony. You know, maybe doctors would also agree if a pregnant woman has this, uh, you know, is seized with this desire to, uh, to eat, you, you have to take care of her. Here, you're actually having the expert saying otherwise. And even though, you know, the verse says you know how your own, you're feeling, just because you know how you're feeling doesn't mean that what you think is going to be good for your health is necessarily going to be good for health. You might know that you feel like you desperately need, you know, to drink, but the doctors will say, yeah, but if you drink right now, it actually is going to make things worse. Um, so it's a really tremendous chiddish here that to say that we will, you know, we, that we will that, um, that, that we will be willing to forego what the experts and go by the person's own sense of what they need. Um, Rav Moshe Feinstein in a couple of kivot, I don't remember if he had to be quoted as pasuk or not, but he pretty consistently, Joe, welcome back. It's been a while. He he very consistently weighs in concerns of a person's psychological state of well-being and the sense of what's going to, to disturb them psychologically or calm them psychologically um, very critically in concerns about what you determine can and can't be done, whether pikuach nefesh and so on, somebody having to, like somebody feels that they need somebody with them in the hospital over Shabbat, you know, they need that person there. Right? So for their psychological well-being, can that person go ahead and violate Shabbat to be with them in the hospital? Or cases where somebody, let's say, the doctors say they need a feeding tube, and the person is like violently, you know, uh, is uh, rejecting it, and you're going to have to force it on them against, you know, against their will. Um, so, you know, Rav Moshe, so many of those cases basically says, look, you go by the person, what's the, you know, you go by the person um, and, what and their needs because that determines the, you know, that their psychological well-being is central to concerns of pikuach nefesh. And more of that, more, you know, overweighs other types of things. You know, so even overweighs putting in a feeding tube if the person is going to be, like, forcibly rejecting it. So, again, it is definitely a chiddush in the Gemara here that, um, and, uh, and then uh, that gets continued on, you know, in various posts in that idea. You know, yeah. What? You don't have to you know, listen, it's a camera, uh, you know, you're sure about Right, that? so that's also interesting, right? By the case of the pregnant woman, there was a whole issue about trying mm-hmm. to dissuade. Because yeah. there might have seen that that was more like, you know, there might have been seen of that, that it was psychological, but to some degree psychological, which could be, affect, uh, affect the person's health, but at some level also shtuyot. You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that might be the, the, the subtext. So, you know, you try to talk to somebody, whereas here, it seems like the Gemara is really basing it on a sense of the person's being able to assess, their, their, genuinely assess their own needs. And this hole so, is not like, you know, this hole is like a real hole. Yeah, well, that was the point that was made before. It's not explicit, but it might be more explicit later. But again, those are different points uh, to, to reiterate. One is the question about who is in the best position to assess what the person needs, okay? And there there's a huge chiddush, just because lady there, Ma'as, not showing you know how you're feeling doesn't mean you can assess necessarily what's absolutely necessary for you. And then there's the other issue, which is not assessing your needs, but your psychological state and how that factors in in terms of, um, in terms of, the, uh, of, of you know, of creating a sense of what's necessary for your, for your health. Um, which is more the case about the, about, the, about the pregnant woman. But all of these combined create a very powerful idea about how much we basically um, pay attention to the person and their own psychological state and their own assessment of their needs, even against what the sort of medical experts are saying. 
in some way, right. Okay, so let's take a look. So that's, th- that's this issue about a genuinely sick, but an assessment about what's needed, and you would tr- the person's own statement would trump the doctor's. So the Gemara says, Pshita. Now that's an interesting, that's what I just spent five minutes talking about, the big, the Chiddush. The Gemara says, it's Pshita. Now, Mazatov to Tema, Rofe Kim Maybe I think doctors know better. Kamash not that way. Right? It's interesting that that was just, that, that the Gemara had to spell that out. Like for, for us, for us, it's like, you know, out, you know, the, uh, where the, where medicine and whatever science is the new religion, it's like, oh, of course doctors know better. So, anyways, and nevertheless, that's the Chiddush. So Gemara says, Rofe Omer keeps on. Rivyana's statement continues. Rofe Omer Tsarich, Vichol Omer Eino Tsarich. The Rofe says, the doctor says he needs, uh, to be, you know, certain treatment or food, and the, and the sick person says he doesn't. Shomim Lerofe. So here again, you are, you're always lenient for the sake of Pikuach Nefesh. You know, so you listen to the doctor. My time, or what's the reason? It's only some like, you know, some craziness taking, taking control of him is what Rosh explains that others say it means like he's distracted or something. But again, you're lenient in favor of the Holy, you're lenient in favor of the doctor. It raises an interesting question, which is, let's say it's not an issue of being lenient. Let's say it's an issue, and it's not about Yom Kippur. Let's say it's the doctor says, you know, he needs to be fed, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever it is, he needs to take this medicine, and the sick person says he doesn't need to take the medicine. You know, do you force the medicine on the person? So nobody here is talking about forcing, right? Here is talking about are we allowed to violate Yom Kippur? So it's an, in a way it's an easier question because it's just a question about, you know, do we consider it to be enough of a Pikuach Nefesh based on this one's testimony, that one's testimony? It's not dealing with scenarios like I described to you a minute ago that Irv Moshe deals with, which is, you know, the Chol the, the is resisting the advice of the doctor. Okay, so what have we said so far? We said that whether it is the sick person who insists that they need to eat or the doctor they insist they need to eat, that trumps and allows you to violate Yom Kippur even if the other one says, even if the other side says the opposite. Um, it's not. Now we talk in our Mishnah. It says a sick person you can feed him based on what the doctor says. So, apibikian in. So, there's two questions about this Taravyana statement. Number one, it sounds like you need corroborating testimony, corroborating, uh, you know, opinion. Only two doctors. Uh, first of all, no, excuse me, I jumped ahead. First of all, it needs to go what the experts say. Apiatsmolo, you would not go what by the person himself says. It says specifically you go by the doctors. Point number one, against Taravyana. Point number two, apibikian in, apibaki echadlo. Only based on two doctors. Presumably one doctor is not enough. So all this goes against Rav Yanai. Rav Yanai says you go by one doctor, even against the Chola. And it says you go by the Chola against the doctor. And this one sounds like you always need two doctors. So the Gemara says no. Where the Mishnah says you need two doctors is the case where the Chola says he doesn't need. Okay, fine. So that's why it says that you need a doctor. You can't go by what he says. He says he doesn't need. You need a doctor. But why does it say two doctors? We'll just feed him based on one doctor. Why does it say two doctors? No, it's basically the sick person and one doctor is saying he doesn't need. And in that case, so not only is he saying he doesn't need, he and a doctor are saying you don't need to feed him. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, if there's two doctors against the chol and a doctor, it outweighs. Two against two. It's two against two. Three doctors in the room. Okay? The chol and the doctor say no. Two doctors say yes. It outweighs. So the Gemara says, Pshita, that's obvious. Suffolk Nefasha too. It's a risk of life. The Suffolk Nefasha Lahakel. And you have to be lenient. So it's two against two. So obviously you would go, you would be more lenient. Shricha, it's needed for the following case. The Ika Treachrini Bahadei. It's two doctors and the sick person say you don't need to feed him. And two doctors say you do. So it's three against two. So three now, two doctors plus the sick person say he doesn't need to be fed. Now, even though you would have thought three against two, right? And Rav Safra says in another context, that when do we normally say two witnesses count like a hundred and a hundred like two? There's no greater weight in more numbers after two. Rav Safra makes the point by saying that's only true by testimony, where it's a formal, once it satisfies the threshold of testimony, it doesn't matter if you have two or a hundred. Avalinian Umdina, when you're coming to try to make an assessment of things, get like expert opinion, you do go by the number of opinions. Now the case that Rav Safra was talking about was 
let's say we have to assess somebody, the value of somebody's property because it's being seized by a creditor. And we have to determine how much it's worth. So you bring in some experts to do an assessment. And let's say there's a debate. Some people say, this, you know, this painting is worth $1,000. And others say, you're crazy. This is, uh, you know, it's an original whatever. It's worth $100,000. So what do you say? How do you assess it in terms of those issues? So you go by the majority of opinions. So when you normally do by question of expert testimony, you go by majority of opinions. So you might think the same is true by doctors. You don't say two equals 100. Two doctors say one thing, 100 says another thing. Exactly. You go by the numbers. So here, if two doctors say he doesn't need to be fed, but two two say he does need to be fed, but two say he doesn't, and the sick person says he doesn't, maybe you would say that's three against two, and you go by three, even though it's pikuach nefesh. No. That's when you're dealing with like things like money. But here, it's a risk of life, and therefore you'd go by the two who say feed him and break him kipper, and not the two and the sick person who say don't break him kipper. One second. So there's a lot of hanging questions. For example, what's the threshold of this? Let's say a hundred doctors say he doesn't, and two say he does. Also, we've been talking about Bikiyan. Like, you know, people that are experts, you know, just stam, a lay opinion doesn't count, but how do you also measure degree of expertise? You know what, you know the joke, right? What do they call the person who graduated last in medical school? Doctor. So, uh, so anyway, so how do you, so how do you determine what's the level of, what's the level of the key? Number one. Number two is, let's say, um, let's say here it's two plus the chola, say he doesn't. Let's say it's three doctors, three doctors who say he doesn't, and two say he does. But maybe the chole, you know, is that equal to the doctor less? Before we said it was better, but, you know, maybe in this type of a thing. May, anyway, so that's another issue. The final point is, is that you, there still is, even though we're not dealing with testimony, there still is the idea here of two. Because remember, what we said is, if three doctors say no, or three plus the chole say no, and two say yes, you feed him, right? But, what, but, but it's also said, if the chole and a doctor say no, and one person says yes, you don't feed him. Right? When the Gemara says, why do you need two doctors to say feed him? It says, because the chola and one person say no. One doctor say no. In that case, you need two doctors to feed him. Right? You can't feed him based on one doctor. So why don't we say, oh, what difference? One against two. It's, it's still just a question of umdana. Let's go, suf- let's go by suffix nefashos. So here, and not, I think, because of the testimony idea, but because of the idea of, like, corroborating opinion. You know, that if it is one opinion against multiple others, then even by an Afasha's case, one opinion doesn't do it by itself. That seems to be the clear assumption. You need to there, to win out against multiple opinions, you need at least two. You need something to corroborate. You need somebody else to have the same opinion. I'm sorry, okay? two against 100? Two against 100, presumably, yes. Although you still wonder there, like, what's the threshold? You know, but... So you need to do yes, meaning you feed him. You would feed him, presumably, okay? Though you still do wonder, isn't there some threshold at some point? So the basic upshot about this is that the chola wins out against the doctor. Doctor wins out against the chola. You're always lenient in order to feed. However, if there's multiple opinions that say don't feed, then you need at least two opinions to say yes. So two corroborating that say yes. And then that will win out against multiple that say and don't. One, one, one opinion will not win out against multiple that say don't. So even one of them being the whole Yeah. So the whole and a doctor counts as two against hundred. A chol and a doctor say, I do need, and a hundred say that I don't. Uh, that's a good case. We haven't dealt with that. That's a good question. We haven't dealt with that case, but presumably, presumably, uh, yeah. Uh, well, that's the presumably, one of the yeah. two is sort of the world ex We haven't qualified either. Well, no, actually, Michael asks a good question, which is, when we say, Levi Odea Maras Nafsho, and you listen to the chol against the doctor, um, maybe you'd listen to a chol against even many doctors. And I, which is, I, which is, I believe, the halacha. So that has not been spelled out in the Gemara. The case about the chol against many doctors. Yeah, to, in order to see, yes. Well, one has this very little practical advice here because just the nature of, of uh, consulting doctors is such that you weigh different people. Right. And that's subjective as well. well right. In a, in a sense, like, you know, so and so will trust. You know, one school of thought. And right. Well, on the other hand, they, they may have the roots here of something like uh, 
recognizing, in terms of one versus two, recognizing reproducibility or peer review? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) right, something of that. There definitely is that. That is exactly that. I mean, you're right. I mean, that gisha that you need somebody else to corroborate, and it's not, you know, is definitely true because, uh, again, that two went out against three, but one doesn't win out against two. He agrees with you, so now we have two corroborators. In the contemporary literature, there's also an issue of the doctor being a ma'amin Bashem and being a pious person, uh-huh. understanding the ramifications of those before. Yeah. Is there any assumption about that here? No, no. No, uh, like no right. Expert, right. Right. There's two questions about doctors that come up, or general experts, outside experts. One is a question that comes up about just, like, who can you trust? Meaning, you know, do you think that, you know, and um, and that becomes issues around. Well, do you know when there's a, when there was this general suspicion or worse about non-Jews? Do we think that they were, are always lying? Do we think that they'd be trying to lie to mess us up, et cetera, et cetera? That's usually overwhelmingly the halachic literature counterbalanced against the sense about, you know, their you know their their concern for their prof- their professional standards, and we do not have to be concerned. Right about any intentional misrepresentation and so on. Um, the next issue becomes, are they properly weighing, you know, are they relating to our concerns properly? Yes. So, you know, That's every true. doctor will say, oh, don't fast, I don't kipper. You know, so say, yeah, okay, but is there, is there like any risk, whatever? You should be fasting, I don't kipper. You know, so, and the question is, is that are they really saying that because, that because they're saying that there's some risk, or are they just saying that from a medical perspective it's completely unjustified, but not because that, there's a, that it really would create any sense of risk or danger or whatever? So there, there is some of those concerns about exactly, right, what doctor that you, you know, who you, you know, who you ask. Or, not that the doctor has to be firm, but, you know, to what degree they're really answering the question you need answered. You know, so, but yes, those are some things. Okay, yeah. And then, let's say, okay, it's indisputable that uh, that he needs to eat, let's say. But, you know, should we say that he can drink, or or, let's say drink. So, you know, should he drink it, as in, like, the normal way you drink it, or, okay, it's it's injected with an IV or something. Yeah. How do you get into the question? So there's no, so in the halacha, there's none of this discussion about doing it with shiurim, like, okay, the person has to do it, but let's do it in a way that can not exactly violate young people or do little by little. They didn't even have the scenario of IV and so on. That comes up nowadays to deal with more ambiguous cases, um, but when it's a real pikuach nefesh, you don't play those games. And the Gemara does not deal with those types of middle, of middle scenarios. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Okay, so that's where we're up to. That's the basic statement of Rav Yanai, and it's worth appreciating how much Rav Yanai, you know, innovated. The Mishnah says, you, you know, it, it had the case of the sick pregnant woman that was going crazy, but nobody was contradicting her. The Mishnah otherwise said, you listen to doctors. And Rav Yanai basically said, you listen to the chola against the doctor, and the doctor against the chola, and you always are lenient. And we just say, and we've somehow fitted into the Mishnah, that when the Mishnah says doctors, it means when it's some like two against three scenario. But as a general rule, you always go lenient. Um, you're, you're always lenient, subject in the first house. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Uh, the end of the mission says, if there's no doctors, then you follow what the Chola says. That suggests that both cases the Chola is saying, I need to eat. And what it's saying is, if there are doctors, first you check what the doctors say. And if there are no doctors, then you can listen to the chola. But it sounds like if there are doctors, you would follow them against the chola first and against what the chola says. So the Gemara says, no. Uh, no, it's like missing words. Here's how you have to read it. The meds when is it that you need to go to two doctors? Where the chola says, I don't need. Then you go to doctors, and doctors can override, and maybe even one doctor can override, unless you have two, then you need two, etc. Aval Amar Tsarachani, but if he says, I need to eat, ain't Shambikiyim, then it's light, um, tray, elachad, the Amar Lod Tsarich, machino so apiatsmo. So then, if, the, he's not, if he says he needs to eat, and there aren't two that contradict him, but there's, uh, but there's only one that says he doesn't, then you let him eat. Okay, which basically, though, here, this is addresses Michael's case which basically says that if he says he needs to eat, he would win out over one doctor, but not over two doctors. So still this idea that there is some limit, right? One doctor says he needs, and 
to say don't, you don't listen to the one doctor, that, even though it's pikuach nefesh. We say, if it's only one opinion against multiple, you don't. He says he needs, and two says he doesn't, you also don't listen to him. So, basically, you are always lenient, whether it's doctors or him, except in the case of one against two. One against two, if it's not corroborating, then we would go Could by the majority. Yeah, yeah. Did you say something about Kisra and Yisra, the Hashem Was there a Tana who said, yeah. you know, there's a different version of this text that's more complete, or is it a reworking? Yeah, so there's different, the Achronim say different things. I mean, some Achronim claim that there really is some other text, or some actually have some more inventive statements, like there's a very creative approach that's said by the Yachin Boaz, by uh, um, what's his name, by um, uh, the of Lippmann, uh, who says that, well, since it was all learned orally, they learned the, these texts by, like, a nigun. It's a little uh, anthro, uh, what's it, it's a little anachronistic. So he thinks that they learned the oral texts by a nigun, and because they were learning it with a nigun, maybe some of the words, like, dropped out in order to fit with the rhythm or whatever, and that's how it led to chisurim. <laughs> Something like that. But, you know, but there are basically achronim and the gran others that basically say, no, you know, if the Gemara doesn't like a bright or a Mishnah and it doesn't fit with its position, it will rewrite it. You know, but that the, but that they're not that not genuinely that there really was another text. Okay, which is all right, which is more what it does sound like. That's like the raw. Okay. So anyway, let's take a look. Um, uh, okay. So uh fine. So that's where we're up to. You always go by either him or the doctor to be lenient, except if it's a case about one against two. Um, but otherwise, you know, many against many, you're always lenient. Um, one minute? Okay. That's what he says. says, So this is exactly the issue that we were discussing, him against one or him against two or him against many. So Marbaravashi takes the approach of Yanai to an extreme. And when, if the Cholas says he needs, I don't care how many people says he doesn't need, you listen to him. Okay, so taking the idea of Rav Yanai, but saying you would even go one against many if he's the one, and he says he needs. Um, it's none. We turn in the Mishnah. If there are no experts, then you uh, listen to him. Time of the lack of Bikim, the reason that there are no experts. Ha'ika Bikim, if there are two experts, presumably, lo, you would not listen to him. Right? It says that when there are no experts, you listen to him. So if there are experts, you don't. How does that make sense? So according to Rav Yana, it makes sense, because two experts can overweigh, what over, you know, overrule what the Chola himself says. But according to this opinion, no experts can ever overrule what he says. So what does it mean? Why do you need experts? You right. Need experts. Well, you need experts if he says no. Uh, no, this is what it means. When do you listen to experts when he says no? Uh, if he wants to eat, it's like there are no experts in the world. So it's a very creative read. Means when he wants to be fed up yatsmo, then it's ain't shabikim. Then it's then no expert testimony matters. Okay, so again, some very powerful statements of the Gemara. Now, you know, one, you know, um, you know, again, it is it is like fascinating because because. It's one thing to say you know that you're feeling, you know, you, you can, you're trusted to say you're feeling deathly ill, tremendously hungry, you feel like you're starving to death. It doesn't necessarily mean that feeding you is going to be the right thing to do. So first of all, the chiddush that you trust him over the doctors, not just to testify to his own state of being, but to what is medically necessary, is a huge chiddush. And the Gemara takes it to the point at the end where we actually even go against even a hundred doctors, and we would go, so, so again, very lenient in terms of the people's issues. Again, these are not a case where he wants a treatment and they don't, you know, they, like he feels that, you know, they're, they're, con- they're resisting. Like one is saying it's bad to do and the other says it's good to do. Nobody thinks it's a problem to do it. The only question is can you violate Yom Kippur, right? If there's actually a case where the Chola says, I want you to do X and the doctors are saying it'll actually hurt your health. Or the doctors say you have to do X and the Chola says, you know, you know, there's like opposition that we're not dealing with. Those are questions that come up in like Rav Moshe and other post We're dealing with the fact that nobody has a problem doing it. The question is whether it's 
justified to be done on Yom Kippur. And in the end, the Gemara has an extreme position that if the Chola feels you need it, sort of like taking the case of the pregnant woman, but generalizing it, if the Chola feels you need it, no matter what the doctors say, you do it. And if the doctor says he needs it, no matter what the Chola says, you do it. You're always lenient. Um, the only issue, the only possible limitation we came up with is in the case about one against many. One against many of the Chola, you would, according to the last opinion, you listen to the Chola, you know, if the Chola needs to be fed. However, if it is, the Chola doesn't want to be, um, if it is one doctor says you need it, and multiple people say you don't, there the Gemara seems to feel you would not do it. You would not break Yom Kippur for one doctor against many doctors, okay? You need some corroboration. But once you have corroboration, two doctors, many can outweigh many, many other yeah, people. So, the whole counselor in the case of the doctor. Well, it, it seems like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right, right. Yeah. So anyway, so that is obviously very lean. Now, the other thing that is not clarified, well, two things points to be made. One is we're going to see a sugya that will come up later that will talk about um, the issue that seems to, to maybe go against this Gemara, that seems to say that it is not like two opinions count against 20. It seems like you really do have to sort of weigh, you know, the expert opinions and really decide which one is the more, you know, sort of um, authoritative, you know, in terms of numbers or, or knowledge or expertise or so on. So there's an interesting good discussion that comes up in the Rishonim and in the Postkin, how to reconcile those Gemaras or are those Gemaras in conflict? And maybe actually some Postkin say, actually, in the end, you go by the weightier testimony, not by the more lenient one. Okay, so we'll see that Gemara coming up later. But according to this Gemara, the basic rule is you always go by the more lenient testimony in order to break Yom Kippur, Pikuach, Nefesh. Now, the other important question is, what exactly are the doctors saying? So, you know, the question saying, well, doctor, say, oh, you know, the question, oh, it's not a firm doctor or not a Jewish doctor, doesn't understand what the concerns are. It says, oh, of course you have to drink. Of course you have to eat. It's like, you know, okay, so that's one thing. But let's assume the doctor does know the issues. What still is the doctor saying? So the Rosh has two opinions. And he says, Rashi, quotes Rashi, who says, trying to find where the Rashi is. But anyway, he says, one possibility is that the doctors say, if you don't feed this person, he might die. Okay, and that's when you would violate Yom Kippur. And the rush says that is too much of an extreme. You don't need the doctor to say, oh my God, if you don't feed him, he's going to die. Right, because that's obviously a very high threshold. All you need the doctor to say is, is that if you don't feed him, it'll complicate his situation. Right, and that the fact that you don't want his situation to be complicated, because obviously if the possibility of things continue to get worse or whatever, who knows? Meaning, if the person just has the common cold, and you say you don't feed him, and it'll make it, his cold last for a few more days, obviously not. There has to obviously be some pikuach nefesh in the, you know, sort of, you know, in the context, in the equation. But it doesn't have to say, like, this could cause him to die. You know, if he is in a pikuach nefesh, if he is in a risky situation, then anything that could complicate the situation counts as pikuach nefesh. And that's obviously a very important distinction about, you know, what the threshold is. I just read you the line from the rush. He says the following. Um, he says... Down on this, right? There's a big gun gimbal there. Yeah, exactly. It says... Where, how many lines down is in the rush? <coughs> um, it's, in the, it's, it's in the second column, on page, uh, first column on page Tzadiyalev. He says, um, by a little mem in brackets, Koswa Tosus had to come shas chola omer tzarchani, hanu omer shu yarei shin lo yochal, or the chola is saying, the chola is doctor, shi yachbi viye misukan lamut. That the Chol is saying, if you don't feed me, I'm afraid that I will be, I, I, that, you know, that my life will be at risk. The, uh, and then he goes on and on. He says, Venir Ali, and this is now by the Os uh, men, uh, Samach, excuse me, to Chumar Gedolahizos, Besafek. This is, the Ein Lecha Rofech Yomar, Im Lo Yochal Shemi Yamus. No doctor is going to say, oh, if you don't feed him, he might die. It's so funny. This is the way doctors, here's the way doctors talk. Doctors don't say, if you don't feed him, he'll die. They'll say, If you don't feed him, it's possible that the situation will, get com- will complicate, will get worse, and that will, and that will expose him to risk. So he says, that's enough. You don't just say, you might die. You say, hey, you know, it'll complicate the situation and it'll expose him to risk. Okay, so that's a really important difference. All right, so let's now continue. And, uh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I would like to add, this. the next point also seems to be momentous. 
No, 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 no. No, no, no. He meant some had the girsa in the Gemara uh, that he's saying if I don't eat I might die, and that he says it doesn't mean literally that he have to say I'm gonna die. Uh, it just so means if I don't eat. That, that's not what it means. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> right. All right. Let's go back and look at our next Mishnah. Okay. So the basic upshot of all of this is you go by the chole or the doctor to be lenient. Um, according to the last opinion, even the chole against a hundred doctors. The one possible, and even by even two doctors against ten doctors, you always go lenient. The one possible limitation, the one limitation is you would not be lenient by, by one doctor based on multiple opposing opinions. Okay, let's take a, and the last point we made about what does it mean? What are the doctors saying? According to the rest, I don't say he's going to die. It's just enough to say that this, it'll complicate the situation and it'll expose him to danger. Okay, Mishnah, Mishach Zobulmis. Somebody who was seized by bulimia. Now we know about bulimia. Um, bulimia is right. Bulimia for us refers to a medical condition where somebody eats and regurgitates. Um, you know, instead of you know, um, but uh, sort of it's associated with anorexia. In the Mishnah, it refers to somebody that basically felt that they had a stuff that was some type of state of mind that they that they had to keep on eating until they would sort of like calm down. Sort of like the case of the uh, of the uh, pregnant woman where they thought it was like a risk to life if they wouldn't would see the person. And that he would be considered to, like, you know, be better, like, you know, um, when he, like, the way Rashi explains that the lang- language used in the Gemara is, Ya'iru Enav, his eyes light up. So somehow he's like, maybe he's like looking off into the distance, his vision is cloudy, and after he eats to a certain point, then he, then that adjusts. And so again, I have no idea what this actually is referring to. Well, you get that from Yonatan, yeah. don't you? Yonatan Well, the Gemara is going to quote that, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've actually seen that in uh, people that, you know, if, they, if you give them a glass of orange juice, they revive. Uh-huh. So they're, you know, kind of out of it. And uh-huh. Interesting. You would say. And then interesting. She, okay. I don't know, but that's interesting. Okay, dropping blood sugar. All right. So if this person, there's no kosher food to feed this person, now we're generalizing the idea of violating prohibitions for the sake of risk of life, not limited to Yom Kippur. You feed non-kosher foods. Until his eyes light up. Maybe for the pain woman too, right? Yeah. Somebody bit by a rabid dog and has, and has um, rabies. You don't feed him from a section of the liver, which was a which was a health which was a health remedy for being bit by a rabid dog. Um, I don't know. It's some section of the liver. allows it. And this is an interesting question about who are the rabbis? The rabbis' role in assessing what is considered to be a legitimate medical treatment or not. Like the, basically, the first opinion says, yeah, that's just a folk remedy, meaning it's trace. The, the the liver. Of course, you could do it the if it were, of the dog. Of, the dog. Yeah. of course, you could do it if it really would be an, would would be medically sound. But the rabbis are saying, but it's not medically sound. It's just a folk remedy, and therefore it doesn't justify it. Which raises interesting questions. You know, what? Exactly. What about all the other folk remedies in the Gemara? But it, you know, the rabbis is it the rabbi's job to assess whether or not this is a legitimate treatment? And this comes up. Somebody will basically ask, like, I, I, I had a student once that had uh, Bell's palsy, right, which oh, is like yeah, half of the face is like, like, is, like, is like, you know, paralyzed, yeah. and tried all the, thank God finally he recovered, but it was, tried the sort of like normal medical treatments, wasn't working, went to a, um, a, a one of those, uh, whatever, natural, um, whatever they're called, holistic medicine, and was told to take a um, tea bag, you know, they put in a tea bag, desiccated scorpion um, and run hot water through it and basically drink the, the, the taste, the tamki ikar of desiccated scorpion um, and that that would help. So he asked me if he could do it or not. So it was like, like I could not, you know, scorpion is really trained. I couldn't get my head around this. And this was such a lesson for me about, um, like, about, you know, to look at the, uh, like, to see the facts for yourself before you paskin. So I, I just, like, couldn't even, like, relate to this. I said, could you, like, bring this in to me? Like, what are we talking about? So he brought in these, like, you know, tea bags or whatever. He opened up the packaging, the most God awful smell filled the room. So I said, I said, like I said, how can anybody drink something that with this? T- 
case. So I said, yeah, you have to put in like a ton of sugar and a ton of honey. So I figured, okay, no St. Tomley's scum. Like bad taste of tray foods is not a problem. But then there's all these issues about is it, is it mevatli nisr lechatchila? Is it this? Is it that? Anyway, to me it seemed it should be fine, but I wasn't going to pass it straight away. So I called up some colleagues. So I called up uh, Rev. Yehuda Herzl Henson, and I asked him, I said, what do you think about this? So he said, he said what type of remedy is this nonsense desiccated scorpion? So I said, to him, I said, do you think this is any different than the Rafuas in the Gemara? Like, who are we to judge, you know? Maybe it does work. What well, we're going to de- decide, you know, on the job, me as the rabbi, to say whether, you know, is this a possibility? Anyway, the level of pro- problem we were talking about wasn't a derisa by any means. Anyway, so this raises really interesting questions of what is the job of a rabbi who's asked a psak question? Is it his position to say, this is clearly not a legitimate refuah, it's narishkeit, you know? So, that is coming up in this Gemara. Now, the, in this Mishnah, yeah, I told him he could. I, got other, I spoke to other rabbis. They agreed with me. He got better, but I don't know if there's a causal relationship. I've been thinking of it. Right. Or like, you know, like, a lot of Let's take a look at the Gemara. Tanu Rabbanan, okay? Minayin ha'yu yodin she'yu e'nav, 
how do you know? Actually, right, actually, right. The mission says that you stop feeding this guy with boomness, whatever we'll call it, low blood sugar, until his eyes light up. How do you know his eyes have lit up? So, when he gets to the post gun aid and realization between good and evil, it's a very funny phrase. What does it mean between good and evil? So, Abaye explains. So, Amar Abaye Ubitama means he can have, he can taste. His taste, his sense of taste is back. You know, you put something that tastes good, you know it tastes good. That tastes bad, it tastes bad. At a certain point, like he can't even taste, he's just so much just needs to get food into him. He's, he, even his, you know, his taste function is screwed up. Taner Bulmis, somebody has Bulmis, Machinos Akalakal. Now he has a new principle about Pikwas Nefesh, that you try to do the lesser prohibition first. Okay? Tevel Vinavela, if you have to choose between feeding him Tevel, grain that doesn't have too much mice is taken from it, and Nevela, an animal that wasn't shachted, Machino so Nevela, you do Nevela, which is only a lav, as opposed to Tevel, which is a chai of Misebideshemayim. Of course, the funny thing is that most of the time Nevela also has a dom problem, because you haven't salted the Nevela. Of course, you might have, you know, you might have thought it was a good shkita and afterwards found out it was a bad shkita. But anyway, okay, and dom would be curries, but okay. So this anyway, is Somehow, yeah. Okay. Um, tevel the Shviyas, if you have to decide between Tevel and Shemitah, Shviyas, you give him Shemitah produce. Now, Shemitah produce you're allowed to eat, but it's after the time you're supposed to destroy it. So that's only a, a mitzvah say of destroying Shemitah after the time, as opposed to Tevel, which is a lotah say, a negative prohibition, which is deserving of Misa Shemayim. Tevel the Truma, how about Tevel versus Truma? Both of them are Misa Shemayim, so which is better? So tonight, it's a bait of tonight, it's a time we turn on the bright stuff. Machinoso tevel. The aim machinoso truma. One, the first opinion says you feed him tevel rather than truma. Then tema omer truma velo tevel. Okay, you feed him truma. What's the, what's it about? I'm a rabba. Says rabba. Hecha de efter bechulin duchliam lo pliyidim etakfinam lei umatfinam lei. Basically, the scenario rabba imagines is you start that you have one pile of grain here, right? Of course, the whole point here is you don't have alternative foods to feed him. This is the only food you've got to feed him. So Rabbi says, so you've got this one pile of grain and it's tether. So you could do, so you, so you could do the following. If you could take truma and he could eat the rest and you could get by with nine-tenths of the amount of food, obviously you would do that. But no, he needs the full measure. So what do you do? You give him the full measure as tether or do you separate it off and have him eat nine-tenths of it as chulin, and the one-tenth as truma, which is, by the way, a fascinating scenario, because then it's not just to get about tevel versus truma, it's also about one unit of truma as opposed to ten units of tevel, right? And even so, there would be an opinion that it's better to give him tevel than the truma. Don't say chita chas, terrorist agree, so he can't eat anything but one, one little thing? All right. Well, yeah, there's also truma spice. They say matzah is the same level as truma, right? No, truma smaser. But that is a good point. You're right. Like, how could you just... Because truma could just be one tiny yeah. bit. But, but truma's meister is, is at least 1% of the total. So, But you're right. It is a funny scenario. I hadn't, I hadn't stopped to think about that, but that's a funny scenario. We're not talking about one nine-tenths versus one-tenth. We're talking about 99 as, you know, as opposed to 100 units. Okay. If you could just feed him the chulin, the chuliyama, low poly, nobody disagrees. You you separate out the truma umatvinamle, and you give him the chul and the chulin. Keep leaving below after bechulin. That that's not enough. He needs the extra units that are going to be truma and truma smaiser. Marsa or tevel chomer. One holds tevel is more strict, so separate out the truma and feed him the truma. Also, by doing that, you're giving him a lesser mm-hmm. quantity of forbidden food because it's only a little bit that's truma. Most of it is okay. You can do um, that on Shabbos. That's also dope we're going to get to that in a minute. Right now, we're not talking about Shabbos. It's during the week, it's tray food. Umarsa or truma chomer. The other says truma is more serious and better to give him the entire amount tevel than a little amount truma. Why is truma more serious? So Marsav or Tevel Chomer, one holds Tevel is more serious. Aval Truma Chazil Kohen. Truma, it's traced for a Jew, a normal Jew, but it's kosher for a Kohen. So it's not as bad. So even though it's the same punishment, objectively speaking, it's not as traced. Umarsav or Truma Chomer, no, Truma is more strict. Aval Tevel Eshel is Chunet. Tevel, in theory, can be fixed. A state of Tevel is a non permanent state. A state of Tevel is waiting to become, have Truma taken from it and become Chulin, and therefore it's not seen as severe of a status. Okay. So now the Gemara says, after the Chulin if you, if, if it's sufficient to give him the Chulin, that's obvious. You don't need Rabbi to tell me that you separate Truma and give him the Chulin. Of course, then he's eating all kosher. No. Well, Tricha B'Shabbos, like those said, with Shabbos, and therefore, you, you, the Chiddush is, you can separate Truma on Shabbos in order to give him the Chulin. 
Someone says, B'Shab is not Mepita, that's also obvious. Tiltu Midrabananhu. Now, Tiltu normally refers to Muktzah. This isn't Muktzah, but the point being, the moving around of the things, taking of Truma on Shabbos is a rabbinic prohibition. So, of course, you have a choice. I can either be this guy Tevel, which is an Isidil Raisa, or I could be Mafrish Truma on Shabbos and feed him Chulin and be over on the Isidil Rabbanan. So, of course, you're Mafrish Truma. So, that's obvious. Here we're talking about that it's only truma it's only tevel drabanan. The stuff grew hydroponic. It grew in or grew in like uh, you know in uh, flower pots that did not have holes on the bottom, so were completely separated from the ground. They had dirt, but they were separated from the ground. It's not mechubar, so it's only rabbinically truma. So there you have two drabanan. Which drabanan do I violate? Better to feed the guy rabbinic. Rabbinic Tevel, or better to be Mafri's Truma, violate the rabbinic prohibition of separating Truma on Shabbos and feed him stuff that's totally kosher. And there the Chiddush is better to <coughs> violate Shabbat rabbinically and feed him kosher than to feed him something that is rabbinically forbidden. Now, why would you say that? So, I think at one level the answer would be, you know, that somehow we have these taboos around tray food, and ingesting tray food is seen more as than just doing the simple prohibition. So, you know, somehow you bring trace into your body. So better to violate a rabbinic Shabbat restriction than to actually eat trace, even though it's only rabbinically trace. That's what I would have said. But the Gemara later, on a related discussion, says, seems to point that the, that the issue is different. The issue is, is that if, I, if you eat trace to Rabbanon food, stuff that's Truma to Rabbanon, or Tevel to Rabbanon, you'll come to eat Tevel to Raisa. So, like, one, one can easily be confused with the other. Where somehow the idea by Shabbat is you're not going to confuse a Shabbat, a rabbinic violation of separating truma with a real Shabbos malacha. So, it's a question about which one will lead to, to a greater potential of slippage. Okay, so violating rabbinic Shabbat will not lead to the same slippage as biblical, the same way there will be slippage if you eat Tevel Durabanan could lead to Tevel Durabanan. Anyway, that's what Rav is saying, that the Chiddush is, even if it's Shabbat, better to violate Shabbat and separate rather than feed him this stuff which is forbidden even if it's only rabbinically forbidden. It's more of a lashon of muktza. But either way, it doesn't mean it here. Right. So the Gemara says, And within that, and then there's this debate, okay, that if you can't do it, if, if you can't separate the truma that he needs it all, which way do you go? So the Gemara says, Let's say that this is a debate of Tanoim. The time we turn on Raisa. Somebody has a snake bite. So you can have a doctor come, you know, even if it means that you have to travel on Shabbos. Okay? And you can do that old, good, classic remedy for snake bites, which is tearing up a chicken <laughs> and putting it on the snake bite, I guess. The Gogumosa Krishim, and you can, uh, you can harvest cress, which apparently is something that was used for snake bites. Um, all of these are Shabbos violations. And you feed it to him. And not only that, you don't have to take Trumas and Maestros. Um, that's what Rebbe says. Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Shimon Omer, lo yochal yaser. No, you have to take Trumas and Maestros. So this seems to be the debate, right? And this is the case, by the way, of a vegetable, crest, which is rabbinic, Truma, which is rabbinic tevel, it's only rabbinically obligated in Trumas and Maestros. What is better, to feed the guy rabbinic tevel, or to viol- or rabbinically violate Shabbat to take Trumas and Maestros? So the guy is arriving in pain with a poisonous snake bite, and you're taking a tithe. Exactly. Okay, okay. <laughs> so the says, so the Mar says, Nema Rebbelezebreb Sheminhi below Rebbe, your idea that it is better to violate Shabbat, that seems to be Rebbe Eliezebreb Shemin, who says, uh, I'm sorry, to, yeah, who says, take Trumas and Maestros, and not Rebbe. Rebbe says, don't do it, just feed him the thing. But says, no. A Filutema Rebbe. Even Rebbe, who there says, don't take Trumas and Maestros, would agree in my case. Rebbe only says it over there, that you don't take Trumas and Maestros, because they were talking about vegetables, and therefore violating, uh, you know, tr- uh, Tevel by vegetables won't lead to a biblical violation. Of the nicer dogon when it comes to grain, the tevel diorisahu that there are ver- standard trumas and maisus by grain is biblical. 
Afilu Rebbe Moda, even Rebbe will agree that because it's in the biblical category, then the E Sharifle, but if you allow the case of growing in a, uh, in an, un, in a, uh, in a, in a flower pot without a hole, you'll come to allow the flower pot with the hole. Meaning, that, again, what's the case? The case is, you got to do a Durabanan for this guy. Either you take Trumas and Maestros on Shabbos, which is Durabanan, or you feed him a Durabanan, something that's rabbinically tethel, which is better. So we had said better to take Trumas and Maestros. Here we have the case by the vegetable, that Rebbe is of the opinion, better to feed him the vegetable without Trumas and Maestros. But says, yeah, there, nobody is going to slip from from vegetable Trumas and Maestros to a case of grain Trumas and Maestros. Durabanan will never lead to a Durabanan. But when you're dealing with grain trumas and maestros, because technically this is rabbinic, because it grew in this flower pot without a hole, that is not, that's not obvious. And if you let people do that, they'll come to do the biblical. So in that scenario, it's better to violate the rabbinic Shabbat, which won't lead to slippage, than violate the rabbinic idea of tevel by grain, even this type of grain, which will lead to a slippage of a tevel diorita. Okay. Well, yeah, the biblical beer that grew in the ground. Not a yeret. Right. And not a yeret. Right. Let's just read a little bit more. Nishach zo bumis, somebody who is seized by bumis. Machil so dvash lechomini matika. So what do you give them? You give them honey and all sweet things. That'll help. This really fits in, though, with your, the uh, possibility that it's a blood sugar issue. So describe kids every day. Honey and sweet things light up your eyes. There's no proof. There's a hint. This is by Yehonatan, right? That, that they took this vow to fast oh, and they were going through the forest and he had the, took the honey. See, behold, my eyes have lit up. I had a little honey. What do you mean it's not a proof? Seems like a pretty darn good proof. No. There, he was fasting. It wasn't an issue of bulmas. So, yeah, it works for fasting, but it's not an absolute proof that it works for bulmas. Amar bai, said bai, lo shanu el la When is it that honey is, uh, is good, that is like satisfies you, um, and that's after you've had food in your stomach. Avokodam honey on an empty stomach, migrigarir, doesn't satiate, it actually makes you hungrier, it draws the appetite. The Pesach says, They found an Egyptian man in the field. They brought him to David. They gave him food, bread, and he ate. They gave him water. They gave him a section of a dvela, uh, like of a, what do you call it, of a, of a, of a, of a date. Uh, a, a, figs? Is it figs? I always get that confused. Figs. And two raisins. And he ate. And his spirit returned to him. So these are sweet things, the figs and the raisins, but they gave it to him only after they gave him the bread. So you see the sweet stuff helps after food, not before food. Now, the vash is not bee honey. Correct. Well, right. It often is date honey. Talking about, right. Uh, right. 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 Because right. right. he had not eaten or drunk for three days and nights. Somebody has bulmus, you give him like fatty meat, literally means a fat tail in honey. So it's also good to get fat, you know, fat and, and, uh, and honey and, 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 and uh, sweets. No, it does not have to be fat. It could be carbs, right? It could be even, exactly. It could be even clean flour. Even uh, barley honey, barley flour with honey. Anything with honey is good. Once I was seized by this bulmus, the I went to the east of a um, of a fig tree um, and I ate the figs. And why? Because the figs on the east side, where the sun it expo- has exposure to the sun, are sweeter because they're you know the sun brings out the uh, sugars and the sweetness. Wisdom will give life to its owners, because again, maybe I was pikuach nefesh with this bulmus, and I knew where to go for the sweetest stuff. The Tani Rev Yosef, if you want to get really the good taste of a good fig, get the stuff that grows on the east side of the tree. And from the sweetness of the grain of the sun, so the sweet stuff comes where it's exposed to the sun. Reb Yudah, Reb Yosi, Avika Azi Baruchah, Reb Yudah and Reb Yosi were going in the way. Achzei Bulmus, Reb Yehuda. So Reb Yehuda was seized with Bulmus. 
Kapchei Leroa, he sort of uh, compelled this, uh, 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 a shepherd that they found, and Achlei Larifta, and he basically forced him to give him all their all his bread, and he he basically you know he was he he had to eat, he was gonna he thought he was gonna die, so he forced the shepherd to take, and he took all the bread away from the shepherd. Okay, Amalei Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says Kapachte you basically have compelled the the uh, the shepherd, you stole his lunch, he was critical, so what's gonna happen? So he's gonna have his comeuppance. They came to the city. So now Rebiosi was seized with Bulmas. So Ahadru Balgevitsoi, they surrounded him, the people of the city, with like, uh, you know, with like uh, drinks and plates. He basically made them give him all their food and all their drink until he was recovered. So Amalai Rebiudas, Rebiudas said back to him, Ani Kapachi I forced the one shepherd to give me his food. Ata, you, Kapachta you compelled the whole city to give you their food. Okay, we'll read one more thing. Okay, we have to read this. It's a famous story. It's going to go five minutes over, but if you can stay with me. Red Mayor would pay attention to people's names. They wouldn't pay attention to people's names. This is no longer about bulmas. It's about going on, you know, rabbis traveling. They came to a place. They needed an inn. So an inn was offered to them. They said to the innkeeper, What's your name? My name is Kidur. Amar so Mayor said, he's obviously a wicked man. They are a betraying generation. So he must be wicked. Kidur. Kidor, Kidor, right? His name is Kidor, Kidor, Tapuchotema. So, you don't see the words Kidor, Kidor. Okay. Reb Yehuda and Reb Yossi, Ashlimu Lekisai. Reb Yehuda and Reb Yossi said that's Narishkite, so they gave him their, their, their wallets to keep over Shabbos. Reb Meir lo Ashlimu Lekisai. Reb Meir did not give him his wallet to keep. What did he do with his wallet? Adil Ose Kikivrei the Avuha. He put it on the on the uh, by the uh, grave of the gu- of the guy's father of the innkeeper's father. I don't know where he knew the innkeeper's father was buried. It's um, Chazile Gavra. So the uh, so the guy's father, the innkeeper's father, appeared to him in a dream and said, "Take the uh, wallet that's on the, that's on my head." Um, so the next day, the innkeeper said to the rabbis, Reb Meir, Reb Yudah, Reb Yossi, um, Look, I had this dream. My father came to me and said, Take the, the, the wallet that's on my head. So they said to him, The dreams on Shabbos don't have any meaning. Like, you know, you're just, you're, you know, you're resting from the whole week and whatever. It doesn't mean anything. Now, they didn't want him to go and take Rebbe Meir's wallet. So what did Rebbe Meir do? So Rebbe Meir now knew that the guy knew where the wallet was. So Rebbe Meir had to go protect his wallet. So Azar Rebbe Meir, but not Rebbe Meir went to the grave and watched the wallet the whole, the whole Shabbos. So I sail the Macha. The next day he brought it home after, after it got dark, after it was Motei Shabbos. Okay, the I say, and he brought it back, excuse me. Lamachar, so now it's Motei Shabbos. Rav Meir has protected his wallet. He knew to suspect the guy. Amrulo, they said to the, the innkeeper, Havlan Kisan, give us our wallets. Amrulo, who? Lahayud Ramel. And he said, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. You never gave me your wallets. So you see, Rebbe Meir knew what, he, knew, knew what to be worried about. So, Amrulo, who Rebbe Meir, Rebbe Meir said to them, Amrulo, the Yikhtibishma, why weren't you paying attention to his name? He's got the name, shows you that he's wicked. Amrulo, so they said back to him, Amrulo, 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 so, so why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you warn us? Amr Lahu said to that, Ema da Amri ana chashasha. Achzuke mi Amri. Look, I said to be choshesh for his name. I didn't say I knew for sure. But, you know, nevertheless, I, I didn't like definitely know he was wicked, but you should have listened to me. I was concerned about it. So what are they going to do? So, mi Amri. So, mashu vailu lechanusa. So they took the guy, they brought him into a, like, in, into, into a bar. Okay, or you know, in, um, or into whatever a store. So Chazu Tapuchai Asfame. They saw like lentils in his, uh, you know, in his uh, 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 mustache that he had eaten lentils for the morning, and there were still some lentils in his mustache. So he went to the guy's wife and said, "Your husband told us to give that you should give us our wallets." And the proof is that he said to give you as the proof that to say that he had lentils for breakfast this morning. So, so the wife believed them. Ah, how else would they know that he had lentils this morning? 
so they managed to get their wallets back. And they came back. So he came home and he said to his wife, where are the wallets of those guys? He said, I gave them back to them. He says, what did you do? So what did he do? The cop lately used to say, so he killed his wife. So not only was he a thief, he was a murderer. He killed his wife. So Hainu de Amri, or that's what we say, the Tanya, whatever, Mayim Rishonim Hechiu Batachizir, because the guy wasn't careful with washing Mayim Rishonim, he was given Chazer, and Mayim Achronim Harguet Hanefesh, and uh, for not being careful with water at the end of the meal, it caused somebody to die. Why? Because if he had washed his face and his hands after eating, then they wouldn't have gotten their wallets back, and then he wouldn't have gotten killed. So you've got to be careful with Mayim Achronim, or you'll get killed as a result. So what's the case of Mayim Rishonim? Um, so there's something is, like somebody came to an, to an inn, he ordered food, the innkeeper gave kosher food to the, to the, to the, to the Jews, and non-kosher food to the non-Jews. This guy didn't wash Mayim Rishonim. He figured he was a non-Jew, and he fed him, fed him chazer. So you see how important that is. Okay. In the end, the rest of the rabbis learned to care about names. Why? When they came to a house that the guy's name was Bala, they didn't go into the house. Somebody with the name of Bala must be a wicked person. And said to Bala, uh, one of like, uh, you know, fornicators. So, anyway, you see, pay attention to people's names. Do names compel your personality? Don't ask me. Okay.